Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. This is Pat Prince, editor of Goldmine Magazine. Welcome back to the Goldmine Podcast. It's October 9th, 2020, and this day marks the 80th birthday of John Lennon. So on this episode, we'll have Beatles historian, Beatles author, John Borak. In fact, he's got a new Beatles book coming out, and he'll talk about that a little bit. But we will mostly discuss how John Lennon has affected our lives and what John Lennon has meant to us. And also, basically to celebrate John Lennon's legacy, we'll talk about certain things like his philosophy or his different philosophies and nuances, guitar solos, harmonies, anything in his solo work. John Boric has a lot of insights since he is constantly researching the Beatles he will basically bring up a lot about Lennon's life that maybe some of us haven't thought about before. So let's get John Bork on the phone. John, thanks for coming on the podcast. And as you know, one of the reasons it's John Lennon's 80th birthday. But what I wanted to talk about is his legacy. And as a Beatles author, you have certain insight into Lennon's philosophies and his music. But before we get into that, talk a little bit about this book you have coming out, which is about the Beatles. Um, I know you've been working on it for quite some time, and you're very proud of it. Maybe we could, you could talk a little bit about that before we talk yeah. about John. Well, thanks. Yeah, thanks, Pat. First, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, this book has had sort of a long gestation period. I've been working on it for uh, several years now, but it's due to come out in the first uh, quarter of 2021, and it's titled The Beatles 100, 100 Pivotal Moments in Beatles History. So it takes a look at the Beatles as a group and also their solo years, and I rank in 100 uh, relatively brief chapters the top 100 moments, or what I feel the top 100 moments were in the Beatles' career from everything from John meeting Yoko to John Lennon meeting Paul McCartney to, you know, 
Counterterrorism's All Things Must Pass coming out, the death of Brian Epstein, all the different moments that sort of made the band and the individuals what they were. I sort of cover those and rank them from one to a hundred. And it was really fun getting to research that because I tried to dig a little bit deeper and, and use some quotes and find some information that hadn't been um, sort of well-worn like a lot of Beatles material has. So I can't tell you the number of books and magazines and online articles and things I read and researched. It was kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. Like things I'm nuts. I've got, a, got my own little mini Beatles library here in my room, but um, it was just really enlightening and really a lot of fun to do. And I think that uh, I think that people will enjoy it. At least I, I hope they will. It's sort of something that um, novices and fans alike of the group, I think, both will be able to get something out of. So very proud of it. It's coming out on Rare Bird Books. Like I said, uh, first quarter of 2021. Now tell a little bit about the solo years part of it, if you can. Well, I discussed certain solo albums that I feel were important to the Beatles legacy, um, the individual Beatles. So, of course, I discussed John Lennon's um, first two solo albums, which I feel were his two finest, the Plastic Ono Band record from 1970 and the Imagine album from 1971, which I feel is sort of his magnum opus. Just it's one of those albums that it's almost flawless in in my opinion. Mm. And then I also discuss the uh, Walls and Bridges album, which was uh, 1974 and was his last uh, album of all original material pretty much until 1980, until Double Fantasy, which he uh, released along with Yoko Ono. So I, I cover those albums and I cover, uh, you know, some Paul McCartney solo records, George, Harris, George Harrison's All Things Must Pass and Cloud Nine. Uh, Ringo Starr's Ringo album, um, you know, and just take a look at, you know, what went into the recording and sort of how they were received at the time and just kind of taking a look back at, at the records with kind of a different perspective and listening to them again with a fresh set of ears. And it's amazing that, you know, you listen to this stuff now and it, you know, in a lot of ways, it doesn't sound dated. It doesn't have really dated production. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have, uh, you know, um, the, the sort of 80s loud drums that, you know, really hampers a lot of stuff from that era. You know, the songs are timeless and and for the most part, and a lot of the performances are timeless as well. Well, this is a good, perfect bridge into talking about John Lennon and what marks his 80th birthday today. And uh, I want this podcast, I wanted you on because, you know, wanted to celebrate his legacy a little bit. Um, and talk about his songs and albums. But let's start there on his first two albums. What was it about those two albums that you thought were special than the others that he put out? Well, to start with, Plastic Ono Band was his first first real album after, after leaving the Beatles. Mm-hmm. And it was also one that he uh, released after he and Yoko had gone through uh, primal scream therapy uh, here <laughs> yes. in Los Angeles. Yes. So there was a lot of pent up anger and anguish mm. and just him laying his feelings bare musically. And the lyrics were a little tough to hear at some times. You know, mm. you didn't want to hear, uh, didn't want to hear John Lennon sing, uh, I don't believe in Beatles. You know, a right. lot of people in 1970 were still hoping the Beatles would get back together, but this breakup was just temporary. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, 
just a lot of really tough uh, things he was reminiscing about regarding his childhood and stardom. And, um, you know, the music was just sort of stark. Uh, John played, I believe, all of the guitar on that record. Mm. It's it's almost like an early punk record in terms of the attitude mm-hmm. and in terms of a lot of the uh, guitar sounds on there. It's just really raw, really bare, and um, you know a lot of it is is really moving. There was some really pretty stuff on on there too. There, you know, a song called "Love," uh, which is just a gorgeous ballad. Love is asking. pretty song and then you had really just you know full-on anger uh, like working class hero and uh, I found out and, and God the song I referenced earlier where he's saying I don't believe in Beatles I don't believe in Zimmerman meaning Bob Dylan mm. um, don't believe in Bible don't believe in Jesus I mean that, that was pretty that's pretty intense stuff especially for 1970 you know you just didn't hear people doing a lot of that kind of stuff Just believe in me. watching a, I don't know, sort of a musical musical version of, of watching a car wreck. You know, you, you can't turn away. Mm. It's, you, you can't stop listening to it because you know the pain he was going through. Mm. And uh, just the fact that he's putting it out there is, is, was pretty incredible. Um, the Imagine album, uh, which came a year later in 1971, that, of course, um, had his probably his best known song on there, the the title track, right? Which is interesting in that it it, it didn't hit number one as a as a single. 
Um, everyone assumes, I believe, that it probably did, but John didn't have a number one single until Whatever Gets You Through the Night um, mm. in 1974 from the Walls and Bridges album, which he recorded with a little help from Elton John. Mm-hmm. That was his first number one single. So Imagine, I think, only made it to number three on, on Billboard. But, um, you know, that was on there. And then just some really, again, some really beautiful tracks, um, a lot more lushly produced than Plastic Ono Band. Um, you know, John actually called Imagine uh, Plastic Ono Band with sugar on top, just because the, the strings and the horns, everything right. was just a lot sweeter and a lot more palatable. Um, he was basically saying a lot of the same things lyrically, but just, you know, music was was a lot more palatable and easy to take. Right. So you had some really pretty ballads on there like Oh My Love, uh, which was obviously written for uh, Yoko. And then, of course, Oh Yoko, which is sort of a little sort of Buddy Holly rockabilly type thing almost, Yeah. which closes out the album. And then uh, a couple of angry things. Um, Give me some truth. Give uh, me some truth, yeah, which... Boy, you want to talk about timeless. You listen to those lyrics today. Yes. Uh, you know, they still hold true, you know, yeah. and it's almost 50 years later, and he's singing about pig-headed politicians and all I want is the truth, and it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah you're right. I'm sick and tired of hearing things from uptight, short-sighted, that got a lot of ink on that album was called How Do You Sleep? Yeah. It was sort of his... Uh, personal. <laughs> yeah, his personal little jab at Paul McCartney and, you know, George Harrison plays all over the album, but he also adds a slide guitar solo to that song, which sort of let you know where his allegiance was in terms yes. of, you know, on John's side or Paul's side? Well, he's obviously on John's side because <laughs> he's playing this really nasty slide guitar solo on How Do You Sleep, but... Um, yeah, that guitar yeah, solo is, that oh, guitar yeah. solo is a something that should be pointed out as a certain nuance that really makes that song stand out. Besides its yeah. anger. <laughs> Harrison didn't have the voice he had. He expressed it through guitar, I guess you could say. 
Yeah, John uh, actually said at one point, not long after the album was released, that was the best uh, best guitar solo that Harrison had done up to that point. Mm. And I don't know, but I would disagree. You know, mm. sometimes when you're when you're you know playing music and, and it comes from a place deep inside of you, whether it's anger or love or whatever, you know, it it really shows in your playing. And I think. Uh, I think George kind of let out some of his anger at Paul McCartney uh, in the guitar solo to that song. Mm. Um, of course, he also had a couple of solo tracks that kind of poked at Paul a little bit. Uh, Wah Wah from All Things Must Pass, I think, was sort of about Paul. Mm-hmm. Um, as was Isn't It a Pity, I think it might have been about the Beatles' breakup in general. But yeah, yeah. imagine uh, getting back to that overall, just I found a classic it, album. Yeah, I found it interesting that crippled in, inside always i always found it interesting that that followed imagine um i don't know why it just seems like a switching of gears or uh, you know i think that might have been intentional because the uh the whole album is, is sort of yes. like that when you look at it i'm yeah. looking at the track listing here you yes. know, from imagine the crippled inside sort of the jaunty you know and i think that was about paul also yeah um you can comb your hair and look quite you know, look quite cute. You know, I'm, I'm pretty sure that was about Paul. But then you go from that to this really beautiful, confessional, jealous guy. And then he goes into this really kind of hard sort of blues track. It's so hard. Mm. And then I don't want to be a soldier, mama. I don't want to die, which, you know, similar to It's So Hard. And then, you know, side two, you go from Give Me Some Truth to the really beautiful ballad, All My Love. Then you're into How Do You Sleep. And then another sort of slow one. How, which is a really pretty number that sort of gets overlooked. How is one of my favorites. I think it's always been underrated. How can I go forward when I don't know which way I'm facing? in it you could really feel uh, more than others I believe and yeah you know I think I think on Imagine I think uh, on a lot of the songs John was able to it almost seemed like he wasn't only speaking for himself it was kind of like a universal sort of thing you know oh my love for the first time in my life now my eyes are wide open yeah. you can imagine anyone singing that to their significant other you know how can I go forward when I don't know which way to turn? You know, I'm sure a lot of people have, have, have felt that. So it wasn't maybe quite as personal all the way through as right. the Pasigono Band album, but I think it was a little more relatable mm. and definitely a little more, like I said, lushly produced, which is probably why, um, you know, it was a little more popular uh, on the charts and sold a lot more and is, you know, remembered as one of his um, best solo efforts still today. Yeah, how remind made me think that it was uh, a little bit influenced like Harry Nilsson for some reason. I don't know if that, that would be true. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. That's interesting. I, I hadn't thought about that. I don't know if he, I know he knew Nilsson at that point, but I don't think they were really hanging out together. Not yet, right. 
but it still but, has um, that sort of feel to it. Um, I don't know. That That's just in my head. But it's always been a song that I felt is was underrated. And that and Remember, the song from his first album, that song oh, also, yeah. I believe, is underrated. song goes back to what you were saying about the therapy that he was going through um right? yeah and you know and that and that's a cool one too because it's got some pretty cool rhythmic shifts in it musically exactly um it's yeah it's it's a pretty cool track um and there's you know and there's just three people on there uh there's uh, there's no guitar on that song it's interestingly enough Right. Um, just piano, drums, and bass guitar. Yeah, Klaus yeah. Borman on bass, Ringo on drums, and John on vocals and piano. Yeah, it's interesting that Klaus um, was, he remained loyal to John, didn't he? Um, he did, yeah. Yep, he was, uh, I think he was on Inst uh, Instant Karma also, and yeah. you know, he was there from the, you know, from before the beginning <laughs> to uh, the solo years, and he's still, uh, you know, still friendly with Paul and Ringo today. Yes, he is. It's a, it's quite so he, quite interesting. Um, he's sort of like been in the background <laughs> for so long uh, that you kind of I I wouldn't say you forget about him, but he's always been there. Yeah, I think sometimes when when people are around um, for so long, you sort of take them for granted almost a little bit. Right. Um, you know, but there's a lot of people who've you know been around. Uh, the Beatles, whether it's been as a group or um, through their solo careers, you know, for quite some time. And uh, Klaus is definitely one of them. One of the odd things was Lennon's relationship with Phil Spector. <laughs> yeah. I never quite got that. <laughs> but... <laughs> well, <laughs> Spector, as we all know, is an interesting case thing that I always point out to, or, or point out to people, I should say, and that I always laugh about, um, it's a box set that came out in 1998. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it was called Lennon. It was a four-CD set. Yes. Uh, a lot of outtakes and demos and live stuff and different yeah. things. And there are, I think, three or four little spoken word vignettes. Right. Which is basically John and Phil Spector. And they're loaded, wasted something. They're 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 on multiple substances. You can just tell, and and they're just screaming. John is just screaming at Spectre, and, and Spectre's trying to count him into the song, and John can't come in where Spectre wants him to come in. And you know, it's 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 pretty funny actually. Yes. You know, looking at it in in, in retrospect, it, it I, made a great comedy album. It sort of reminds me of. Uh, that uh, that record in the mid seventies that came out called the Trogs Tapes, <laughs> you know, it, it's almost like a Spinal Tap type of thing, but it but it, it's real. You know, it's when they were recording the uh, rock and roll album when Spectre was involved in those sessions here in L.A. when John was uh, in the middle of his Lost Weekend, as it was called. But yeah, Spectre was, you know, there's a lot of people who have Spectre stories. You know, the Ramones well, album. 
Yeah. Uh, I, I, I know, uh, I know, uh, Lennon had him. I'm sure Harrison had him. You know, he's, he's a piece of work. That's for yeah, sure. It was just an interesting duo. Um, I have that box set too, and I always skip over that, that part. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> well, you know, it is an interesting duo because Spectre was sort of the king of overproduction. Yes. But then when you, but when you consider that he produced Instant Karma, uh, which is sort of a stark, relatively production, you know, relatively stark production. Mm. You know, when I was doing research for for my for my book, I re- I was reading that you know Spectre wanted to add strings and wanted to add horns and wanted to add this, and Lennon said, "No, leave it alone, put it out. We're going to record it. We're just going to we're just going to put it out, and this is the way it is. Don't do anything else to it." And mm. that's the way it was, you know. And I I can't imagine the song being any different than it, than it is. You know, it's perfect the way it is. It, not everything needs horns and choirs. But, of course, then you go back to talking about the Let It Be album. That's a whole other story. Yeah. With Spectre's involvement there and, you know, God. Paul McCartney sending him a letter saying, don't ever do it again. That whole that whole business. But, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, where Spectre, I think, um, was very helpful to a point was on All Things Must Pass. Mm. Um, because a lot of the songs that George did on that record sort of lent themselves to the choirs and the strings and that sort of stuff. Although, you know, you listen to some of that stuff now and it just sounds, I'm, I mean, the, the songs are great, but I've, I've been hoping that they would do like a 50th anniversary remix of that one, like they've just done with the, uh, John Lennon, give me some truth set. I was hoping they would do the same thing with all things must pass because mm. I think it could sound even better. Well, Instant Karma is another song that, uh, for me, I often think about that song, about how there is karma in this world, and people are going to get yeah. there, too. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, it's it's not always instant, but sometimes it is. I wish it <laughs> and, were instant. Know, Maybe that's why I like the song uh, so more, much, because I wish it were more, more instant. And that, Yeah, for some people, yes, yes. I would definitely agree. But it's, um, yeah, you know, a lot of the stuff that, that John wrote, you look back on now and think, wow, it still applies. Yeah, the you lyrics know? are killer in that song. The lyrics still apply. I mean, he's, he's not talking about, you know, he's not dating himself by talking about, oh, I don't know, Twiggy or, or somebody from the 60s or 70s no. or something like that. He's, no. he's talking about emotions. And I think what, what made it all so uh, interesting was that it wasn't it wasn't him making up characters something no. like Paul McCartney used to do when he wrote stuff like Lovely Rita you know that was Good just a point. character and he had made up John was singing about himself he was singing about his life and, and that's one thing his feelings one thing I loved about him I love Paul but that's what made John Lennon my man is because what you just pointed out he deals with a universal truth or dealt with and Paul, sometimes with these characters, I just can't relate as much. <laughs> yeah, and and you know, it's it's one thing to relate to someone's feelings, yes, uh, like you can with with John or a lot of people. People could, I I know that I could, uh, I still can. But yeah, it's sometimes it's it's tougher to relate to, uh, you know, somebody who's singing about a meter maid. Um, <laughs> sitting on the sofa with a sister or two and well i never did that you know yeah i'm sure if i know anyone who actually has but it's um, cool but but it does it doesn't hit me in the same way 
Um, yeah, I mean, John's songs were a lot more intense in a lot of ways and a lot more personal. Well, I come I back exactly. What, um, makes them, yeah. I could come back to Instant Karma, you know, if I live that long, fifty years from now, and and it's always about this person that you see that you're like, man, you know, this person gets away with so much. You just wish there was some Instant Karma to strike them down. <laughs> mm-hmm. Karma's gonna get you Gonna knock you right in the head You better get yourself together Pretty soon you're gonna be dead Still, you know, mind games. Yes, another song. Yeah, um, that's just you know, to me it almost seems a little underrated, even though you know it was it was uh, top ten here in the in the U.S. Or, no, actually it wasn't. Um, yeah, it was a top ten song, or was it? Mm. Uh, I'd have I'm to look into that. No, sure. it looks like it was number uh, eighteen. Mm. Uh, I thought it did better than that. Um, Where Instant Karma was was, number... was in the top five, I think. Uh, was up yeah, there. Yeah. Yeah. So Mind Games, I, I think, was a little, it's been a little underrated. Um, it was, yeah. But it, it's a really beautiful song. Yeah. And um, if you listen to the new um, Give Me Some Truth box, you can really hear the passion in John's voice mm-hmm. on that song. And, you know, and then you listen to the fade out. Uh, where he sings, I want you to make love, not war. I know you've heard it before. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> and the, again, it still, still holds true. I hate when people call him an idealist because, man, you can we can use some idealism 
you know, some things to strive for. And, and whenever I feel down, I look towards John Lennon to pick me up, to, quite frankly. And yeah, I mean, there's there's nothing wrong with idealism. No. Um, there's a lot worse things that, uh, <laughs> that, you, that, that you could be than an idealist. Because, um, you know, artists pick you up, uh, they move you. And for me, he's always been special to me because... If when you feel like, you know, you've had a bad day or you feel like, uh, you know, sometimes you feel hopeless as a human being. You you look to John Lennon and his lyrics just were, you know, there were songs that were angry and he had to get rid of that emotion. But so many songs were optimistic. And if you want to call them idealistic, fine. But they really pick you up and make you believe again. And that's yeah, what... You know, and... And I think that's part of, uh, you know, the Beatles and the solo Beatles uh, charm, but especially the, the Beatles, is that, you know, I think Paul McCartney said this in, in an interview, you know, we, we were always very hopeful. Mm-hmm. We were always about peace and love. That, you know, it was all you need is love. And John's give peace a chance. And, uh, you know, it was, it was never, I, I think Paul's quote, it was, it was never sawed off kids, go leave your parents and do whatever the hell you want. You know, it, the Beatles were never about that. Right. It was always very kind of idealistic and almost utopian a little bit, uh, in a sense. And, um, you know, the lyrics, the subject matter, the vocals, the instrumentation, it all adds up to why people are still listening to this today. There's just never been anything like it before. Right. I think of the way they evolved. I think John Lennon had a lot to do with, you know, leading that towards uh, maturity in their music. Um, you know, I couldn't yeah, be wrong, well, you know, he was I wasn't the there. first one to start writing about himself. Yes. Um, you know, help. You know, you want to go as far back as 1965. You know, he, he always said that was a cry for help. That was me writing about myself. That was my right. first sort of true song, that and in my life. You right. know, which I think wow. was the same year, 1965. One of my favorites. Great um, song. Yeah. Those were, you know, those were both songs that came from his heart. It wasn't just getting together to write, she loves you, I'll get you, from me to you, love me do. You know, that's, that was all the earlier stuff. By 65, they were progressing a lot more, and John was writing more about his inner feelings right. than he was just, you know, um, you know, he was sort of done writing the simple boy-girl pop songs at that point. Writing about the Beatles for so long, have you spoken to people who have met john um that knew him at all or i'm sure you've come across uh, you know yeah, kind of um i've i spoke to uh pete best who had yes. nothing but good things to say about john actually um also spoke to uh peter asher uh-huh. uh, from peter and gordon who now does his uh program on sirius xm the beatles channel uh of course big fan of both Paul and John. Uh, obviously Paul, because um, he, uh, Paul lived with him for a time because, uh, you know, Paul dated his sister, Jane Asher, for several years. Yes. Um, but, you know, oh, and Billy J. Kramer, I also spoke to, you know, and a lot of these people say a lot of the same thing that you hear from, from other people that, you know, John could be cruel, he could be mean, but deep down he was, you know, a very sensitive person who was just shy and mm. used that sort of bluster to sort of cover up a lot of deep-seated insecurities that he had. 
Yeah, I can um, see that. I, I think that also he matured uh, from maybe he was maybe he was like that, especially at first. And then he, I, you know, this is my opinion that Yoko helped him a lot in emotional maturity. I, I don't know if that's accurate. I don't know how you feel about that. A lot of people feel, well, you know, anger towards her. She, she is older, you yeah. know. She's older, so she had been around the block a little bit before she met John. Um, and, and she was sort of coming at life from a different perspective. She didn't yes. really, really know or care about who the Beatles were. Or, the, so or She wasn't some starstruck fan. Or pop know? music, right? Yeah, that's the best place to come from when you're trying to yeah. influence yeah. So, you know, they just sort of loved each other for each other, I think. And, I, I and agree. That's the, best, that's the best reason to love somebody, right? I mean... I just don't um, understand this anger towards her, like, oh, she broke up the Beatles and this and that. I, I, I think she helped John in so many ways that, uh, you know, you can never express because it was so personal. But I think there was right. a, a maturity uh, for him He uh, after he met her. And, you know, it, it kind of changed him. I think, like when you said he was writing songs like Help, but then he started writing songs about the larger picture about, uh, you know, changing the world. Um, very interesting. Yeah. I think maybe she helped mellow him a little bit. Yeah. Uh, and then especially obviously after, after 1975, when Sean was born, you know, and he went back into recording in, in 1980, I mean, double fantasy, a lot of that was, I don't, I don't want to say mellow, but it wasn't exactly hard edged. Right. It was coming from the perspective of a 40-year-old who, who has a young son, and he's now a family man, and living in an apartment, he's baking bread, he's doing whatever he's doing during the day. He's not, you know, no longer riding on the merry-go-round, as he said in Watching the Wheels. He's just sort of uh, being himself. And I think Yoko allowed him to be himself. I don't know if he was ever really himself for a lot of the Beatles years. Mm-hmm. Um I think she really allowed him to be himself. And I, I agree with you. I think there's a lot of That's a great anger yep. toward Yoko and Linda McCartney. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you, I don't know. It's just a lot of misplaced anger. And I think it's because they're easy targets. Yes. You know, because there's not a lot of, uh, there's probably not a lot of avant-garde music fans who are Beatles fans. You know, there's probably not a lot of people who appreciate what Yoko Right. does and what the Beatles do, at least not then, you know, maybe more so now. Um, so I think she kind of scared people because she was coming from a place that they couldn't recognize. Totally different place. And so, and so it was easy to say, yeah, she broke up the Beatles, Linda broke up the Beatles, but, you know, the Beatles broke themselves up. You know, they weren't getting along during the recording of the White <laughs> Album. That was, I don't you think... know, they weren't getting along... You know, later in 1967, they were starting to drift apart. Let's say those it, women it never happens. were in their life. I think they probably would have broken up. You know, I think how long was there was a lot of tension there. You know, how long could it yeah. have lasted? You know, um, yeah, yeah. And, and you had you had two very strong personalities, John and Paul. Yeah. And then you had someone in George who was, you know, a very good songwriter, just sort of knocking at the door, not being able to get in. Well, how long was that going to last? <laughs> and then, you know, and then you had Paul during the White Album telling Ringo how to play the drums. And, you know, Ringo, Ringo has even said, I'm not sure if I use this quote in my book or not, but I know I read it. 
that during the recording of the White Album, Ringo said, every time I went to go to the toilet, I came back, Paul was sitting at my drum kit. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, you have all those sort of inter-band squabbles and things going on. It's like, well, yeah, how long is this all going to last? Plus, you add in the fact that there were drugs around and, and yes. egos and you know, a lot of other factors, you know, there were just a lot of things that there were a lot of things that went into bringing the Beatles together and a lot of things that went into breaking them up. Mm -hmm. that's, that's my opinion. Mm -hmm. Nothing good lasts forever either. You know, I mean, no, just... no, no. I mean, it's, you know, they were together when you think about it, well, pretty much almost 10 years as far as a working band. Um, that's, that's quite a run. And, and you then know, you think what's, I mean, 12, 13 albums in those 10 years? I don't know, something like that. And the Rolling Stones may still be around, but they're not the same Rolling Stones of the 60s or the 70s even. You know, there are a lot of people that won't even listen to any of their material past 1980. So. <laughs> right, right. Well, there's there's sort of that um, that issue that if you keep going too long, you change. you're going to somehow tarnish your legacy. Yeah, yeah. You know, you're... And you're not going to be as cutting edge as you once were, or maybe not write the songs that you once wrote. And and you know, and I think I think the, the Beatles, if if they had to break up, they did it at just the right time. Mm -hmm. I mean, they went out on top. They recorded Abbey Road. I mean, you don't get much better than that. And I love the solo <laughs> stuff that they've put out. Um, I happen to like it. My least favorite is probably Ringo. But you know, speaking of Ringo, I think he's done a fantastic job of keeping this peace and love feeling around just promoting it i personally love the fact that he's doing this um i don't know if that was something yeah. that he influenced him from john the way john used to promote it but everyone I think so actually i think that's where it stems from honestly and you have was, cynics uh, saying yeah. oh he's gonna do the peace sign all the time come on but no i think it's i think it's really great that he keeps that sort of feeling you know that that legacy of john lennon alive you know well yeah and and i think it is sincere i don't think yeah. he, i mean there's no reason for him to do it if it's not sincere it's right. not going to it's not going to sell him any more records at this point it's not going to make him any more money at this point it's not going to bring more people into his concerts he's doing it because he really believes in it you know i think I think the one thing that that made you know that made people look sideways a little bit was when he decided to stop signing autographs. And I understand, I understand why he doesn't sign autographs anymore because people take them and sell them, whatever, mm -hmm. whatever. But there was that video that he did. I don't know if you remember it or not. It was out all over YouTube and the internet, saying, "I'm not going to sign any more autographs. No more autographs after this date. If you send things to me, I will throw them away. I'm telling you, with peace and love." I'm like, well, that doesn't sound very peaceful and loving, but <laughs> that was sort of an interesting uh, way to interject that into his conversation. So I think that, you know, I kind of made a lot of people think, what's going on here? But, you know, Ringo's just as, I mean, he always has been, he still is sort of a simple guy. Yeah. And I, I'm not saying that in any, in any sort of negative way at all. No. It's I... just, he knows what he likes. He's a very, you know, very down to earth person. And if he does something, it's because he believes in it. Salt of the you earth know, type guy, right? Yeah. That's what it seems like, you know? I, I like his solo stuff the least, but I really think he has done some really, you know, it's been really special, his run, you know, um, especially over the well, last he's got years. a lot of really cool people out there on stage with him over the years. Like Rundgren. He's been doing this right? since, what, 1988? Yeah. Um, you know, we had 
Ian Hunter on stage with him and Todd Rundgren and Dave Edmonds and, and you know, countless other people, mm. Billy Preston, tons of really talented yeah. people that are with him. And this is the perfect vehicle. You know, the all-star band, I think, is the perfect vehicle for Ringo because he doesn't have to go out there and fill up an hour or an hour and a half set with songs that he probably doesn't have. You know, yeah. he can just do his seven or eight standards, the ones that people love. He can go out there and do Octopus's Garden and Yellow Submarine and you're 16 and whatever else. And, and then people do their songs, you know, the, the other people do their hits and everyone goes home happy. Right. You know, it's, it's total nostalgia, but there's nothing wrong with that. It is what it is. And if he's John, what he does. And, I think yeah. if John were still alive, he'd, he'd love it. I think he would absolutely love it just from what I've read. I of think the so man. Too. Yeah. Yeah. But going back to people meeting, um, John or knowing John, um, we did an interview with uh, Jenny Boyd recently. Of course, she's mm-hmm. the sister of Patty Boyd. And she said uh, about John that uh, he was so um, so sensitive and so gentle, but also quite intimidating. Which I thought, mm-hmm. is it because there was this, so much was expected of him, I think, that people went in when they met him they felt intimidated, right? I think that's that's accurate. Oh, yeah. I mean, there was that caustic sense of humor that he had. Yes. And uh, he Which, could cut you down with just a stare and a couple of words. And then, you you know, I've heard multiple people who, who met him during the 60s, you know, fellow musicians say that, that they were just scared, scared out of their wits when they met him. You know, and even Paul McCartney has said, you know, when they were going back and forth in, in the 70s with, you know, how do you sleep and then, Paul did a couple of jabs at John on the Ram album. You know, John would say things to the uh, British music papers, and, and Paul said, you know, I didn't want to get in any sort of verbal jousting match with John Lennon because I'd lose. You know, there's no <laughs> way I'm going to win there. So, yeah, he, he had that way to intimidate people. But, you know, it's, it's interesting. One of the things, you know, well, you read a lot of things online, and probably about 75% of them are BS. But one of the things that people are always... Uh, bringing up is that John uh, mocked people with disabilities when he used to do, you know, back in the early days of the Beatles on stage, he would do, you know, pull these faces and and make these sort of stomping around things like sort of mocking Mm. folks with disabilities. And so, and you know, nowadays, obviously people are a lot more sensitive to that sort of thing. So people bring it up, but what a lot of people don't bring up and probably don't even know is that John donated a lot of money to, um, um, organizations that assisted folks with disabilities. There was right. a concert, uh, I think the one-to-one concert, I believe it was called, in mm-hmm. 1972. Um, I think it was for the Willowbrook home in New York City or something, uh, people with special needs. Uh, he was involved in that and also donated a lot of money. Um, he also did, donated a lot of money to a lot of other nonprofit organizations, him and Yoko, that he didn't make public. So he did do a lot of good. He just didn't feel the need to broadcast it. Well, I, um, you know, his caustic sense of humor came in, it served really well in his songs when it was directed at people that deserved it, who deserved it. You know, not people oh, yeah. that weren't good. They weren't good people to begin with. Um, well, I thought it was funny that, you know, how do you sleep? Yeah. Um, one of the more, you know, cutting lines in there was... Uh, uh, the only thing you've done was yesterday, and now that you're gone, you're just another day. Obviously directed towards Paul. Yeah. John didn't even write that line. That was Alan Klein. 
Really? You know, Beatles manager at the time. Yeah. yeah, he's the one who actually wrote that line. So, yeah, you know, looking back on that, John, you know, John would, would always say, you know, I didn't mean half that stuff that I said about Paul. Right. You, know, you write a song and you sing a song, but it doesn't mean that's how you're thinking about somebody for the rest of your life. Yeah. It's just, I did it and now it's done. And Paul you know? never, never, I never thought of him as someone who deserved that. Um, when I said people who deserved it, I'm talking more like uh, po- politicians or, um, you know, people oh, right. in the public eye. Paul, that was a personal matter, you know, that, um, mm-hmm. and it's too bad it happened. You know, I, I like the song for what it is. I don't really like the uh, how it's aimed at Paul, but, uh, you know, I kind of overlook that. So. <laughs> right. Yeah, but you know, then then you you go you go on the Ram album and you, you listen to Paul singing about too many people preaching practices and it's like, well, boy, I wonder who he's talking about. He's talking uh, yeah. about Ringo, you know. And yeah. So it was just a time where there was a lot of you know ill feelings in the air, mainly because of uh, business reasons mm-hmm. and 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 money, which is usually what causes uh, issues in a lot of bands and a lot of people's relationships in general. Yeah. Um, you know. But at the end of the day, all four of them loved each other, you know, and that, right. and they made some great music t- together and they made some great music solo. And, you know, each of them played on each other's albums. You know, Ringo was all over Paul's albums, all over George's albums. You know, John played on Ringo's albums and wrote songs for him. And it, it, you know, they all still loved each other. And at the end of the day, that's something that's nice to look back on. And then, you know, beyond obviously the the relationships boy we've got a lot of great music just beatles and solo there's just so much wonderful stuff there and right. i still listen to it and, and discover things that maybe i i hadn't noticed you're right you know, especially the solo stuff which isn't as isn't as played out for the most part of a lot of the right. beatles stuff right. um you know there's some great there's some great solo tracks uh that are sort of buried on some of those 1970s lennon and Harrison and McCartney uh, albums, just some really wonderful stuff there. Yeah, and I, I think today is, uh, you know, October 9th is sort of bittersweet because, you know, we always celebrate John's legacy on his birthday. And it, I mean, this is, signifies his 80th birthday. And, um, but it's bittersweet because you wonder what God, what he would have been doing now if he were alive. He could have done so much, you know. Yeah, and that's that's the sad part. We were really robbed of his genius at way too early of an age. Yes. Um, I mean, the only little bit of consolation there is is that there's so much great music to look back on. And, you know, one thing that I've always said is that, you know, he may have only lived 40 years. Right. And it still blows me away to think that Sean Lennon now is five years older than John yes. when John died. That just is amazing to me. You know, John may have only lived 40 years, but he packed so much into those yes. 40 years. He was not only a singer, a songwriter, but an activist. a great rhythm guitar player, which is something that gets a little bit um, overlooked. Uh, he was he was a, a poet. He was an author. He was an artist. He was a, a proponent for peace. I mean, just so much stuff that mm-hmm. he did in those 40 years beyond just being a Beatle. Yes, it's pretty amazing to look yeah. back on it. That's why it's. Uh, I think this year, December eighth, is going to hit me hard. It's going to be a hard day for me. Um, 
you know, for all Beatles fans, for all Lennon fans, and we all know what that date represents, unfortunately, but mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever been to Strawberry Fields, the memorial I, in New York City. I have. The last time I was in New York in 2006. But it's I a good there. place to sort of find solace and try to, you know, sort of just sit there and appreciate John everything he's done. Uh, for the world. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, you you appreciate him and you also think about how much he absolutely loved America and yes. loved New York and how he fought so hard to stay here when they Especially were Especially New York. I mean, him. I have a sort of love-hate with New York City because I grew up around it, but um, he just, like, totally loved New York City. Um, so amazing how he just sort of gave into it. Um, yeah, I mean, he really embraced the whole, the whole deal, the culture and, yeah. and the, uh, the vitality of the city. I mean, one of my favorite photographs, uh, I think it was in probably 71, 72 maybe, uh, John and Yoko on bicycles, and they're somewhere in the middle of New York City on the side of the street, and they're parked by one of those um, um, mobile hot dog vendors. <laughs> And John's holding a, and John's holding a hot dog. Like, but it does not get any more American than that. <laughs> you know, John loved America. I mean, of course, he, he loved England, but yeah. I just think he loved America and, and the freedom and all that it stood for. And it's just horribly kind of, ironic and horribly tragic what ended up happening and how, you know, ended up losing his life in the city that he loved so much. Well, we just did an article on Strawberry Fields, and it's written by John French, J.J. French, who's a huge Beatles fan mm-hmm. and the guitarist and Twisted Sister. He walks through Central Park almost every day and he talked to one of the guys who organizes the um, acoustic music there and they told him that Yoko, not so much anymore because she's been in a wheelchair lately, but uh, she comes by often to the memorial, Strawberry Fields, and checks up on the musicians and waves to them. Wow. And, and she's even been, she's even come by when she's been in a wheelchair i guess her bodyguards were pushing around pushing her around in the wheelchair that uh you know i didn't even know she was in a wheelchair lately yeah she's been a little bit of failing health lately but she's what 87 88 years old yes yes so So, it's understandable um she's she's a remarkable woman you know very resilient and very uh you know just keeping john's legacy out there her her and Mm -hmm. sean and, you know, I really enjoyed uh, Sean's BBC radio interviews with Julian Lennon and Elton John and Paul McCartney. I listened to both of those yeah. uh, interviews earlier this week. And very illuminating and, and just, you know, nice to hear Sean talking about his dad. You know, and it's like I was, I was telling somebody uh, recently, you know, I listened to that interview and, and I kept hearing Sean refer to John as dad and call him mm. dad. And, you know, of course... You know it's his dad, but somehow hearing him say it makes yes. it a little more poignant. Yeah, I, like Man, I, this, this poor guy lost his father when he yeah. was five years old. Like and, I you mentioned know, how to you, deal with that. Yeah. yeah, like I mentioned to you before, I can't even listen to "Beautiful Boy" anymore. It's just too heart wrenching <laughs> to listen to that, especially yeah. at the end. Now tell me yeah, that ending isn't really, heart wrenching. Really bring up those emotions. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well. You will you yourself as a journalist and Beatles historian. You yourself continues to um, promote and pass on the legacy to newer generation of fans. So keep on doing your great work, and we look forward to the book 
Um, and I'm glad you were able to chat on the podcast today when it's John's 80th birthday. So thank you, John. Yourself, John Borak, thank you for coming on. Thank you so much, Pat. It's been my pleasure. Great. Fantastic. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. John Borak, thank you so much for being part of the podcast. And everyone, it's time to spin some John Lennon music since it marks his 80th birthday today, October 9th, 2020. Well, thank you for listening, and don't forget to go to goldminemag.com for special deals on subscription, and also exclusive content can be read there. And also pick up Goldmine on the newsstand at Barnes & Noble and Books A Million, select stores. And we'll see you next time on the Goldmine Podcast.